Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Brittany Staniforth. Hello, please introduce yourself. I'm Brittany Staniforth, I'm 29 and I'm from Leeds. I rode across the Atlantic Ocean in December 2020, taking part in the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. We were a crew of four called Generation Gap. There was me, my dad, Roger, my friend, Victoria, and what started out as her boyfriend, Ed, soon became her fiancé midway through the crossing. So why did you want to row across an ocean? I'm not entirely sure why initially it came. It wasn't like I can pick out a specific moment when it was like, this is it, we're definitely going to row an ocean. I think it was more of a cascade of things early on in life. I had a friend when she turned 30, did a challenge each month for that year. And that just kind of snowballs. And then you see what you've done and what you can do and what else is out there. The row was kind of on our radar of things that might be possible. And I'd done a lot of rowing at university. So it's definitely something that we'd that I thought about and initially I mentioned it to Victoria quite a long time before we actually did it we were just at a barbecue as with most of these things you've got a pint in your hand and I just said oh I've seen this and it looks really good and would you be keen and she at the time obviously also with a pint in her hand thought yeah this would look great but I don't think she really thought I was serious and then it was probably probably another year maybe slightly less than I can't remember um, when I phoned up and said actually this is going to happen do you want to come on up to Leeds and we can have a proper chat about it. And our first official squad meeting was in a coffee shop just around the corner from where, where I live in Leeds. We sat down and went through our goals, how we're going to get there. So naive as to what was a, a kind of in front of us, but trying not to be naive, trying to plan to the nth degree. But and yeah, from then, it, that was it. We were doing it. It wasn't a case of, oh, let's see what, how we get on. It was a case of after that meeting, that's it. We're rowing an ocean and we're all committed. We're going for this. And it turned out to be the best experience probably of my life so far, I think I'd say. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossing. I feel like top three highlights is quite hard to pin down because when you think of one, you then snowball and think of another and then and another and then another. But I think probably the overall highlight for me, which isn't at one specific moment, was, and it sounds a lot, but it was probably getting shared with my dad. Like That was really special to me, the fact that we could do it together. We've always been close. We've always kind of butted heads as well, and that we're quite similar. But being able to share that and actually like help him in certain things was really rewarding. And yeah, it was really special to have that experience together and share with someone that obviously you're so close with. And just the silly times you'd have in the cabin when you're so tired and exhausted, and just messing around was really special. Another, I suppose, slightly strange highlight, but it's probably the thing that we talk about most is probably one of the more scary things that happened to us was when we had a marlin strike through our hull. I mean, it was scary, but actually the way we handled it was so good. Like, I'm not going to say that I'm impressed by myself that much. And it wasn't just me, it was a team effort. But the way everyone just went about getting the stuff done, it really was a team effort. And the efficiency, it wasn't a case of anyone panicking. It was just getting down to it, sorting out what needed to be sorted out. Super efficient. No one panicked and getting the job done and just carrying on like it was nothing. So although slightly scary experience it was really rewarding to see how far we'd come as a crew and how far how we managed to tackle it and that's probably halfway through our crossing so so that in a way is a highlight then there was there was a few nights we had which uh, probably any ocean will say when you're rowing and it's completely flat it's frustrating because you think you could be going faster but the kind the stillness really kind of coming into kind of the middle of the crossing the stillness of the water and you could feel that you were rowing like you would be on a lake 
kind of in a fine boat. And that just felt magical. There was one night we had, I think they were probably dolphins, but you couldn't really see. You could just hear them kind of puffing around us and coming out of the water. And there's just a stillness. It was just really surreal that we were in the middle of the Atlantic. Yet there was such calm and peacefulness, especially when, you know, it'd been really rough a few days before. That was magical. That was something that will stay with me. And I feel incredibly lucky to have lived through. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? I think probably the hardest part physically is just the relentlessness of it. It's There's no let up. It's just two hours on, have a break for two hours, get back on, have a break for two hours. It just, it never stops. It's always go, even if you're a bit sore, you think that you just need a little bit of time to, I don't know, roll it out or, or have a bit of time off the oars. Like, it's just relentless. And that's almost hardest. It sounds really weird, but that's almost hardest in the first week or so because you're, you're feeling achy. Your body's getting used to doing it. By week two, you're into the routine. Your body's into the routine. And actually, you, you don't tend to notice the little niggles. But just the relentlessness of getting up, doing it again, doing it again, doing it. Again. And that probably ties into mental as well. The fact that, yeah, probably the, I wanted more sleep. And I would say to myself when I was getting up, you're going to bed in two hours. It's fine. Like, it's fine. You're going to bed in two hours, it's fine, you can go up. But those overnight shifts, trying to get out of the cabin, I'd, I'd be like dressed, ready to go in the fetal position, just willing myself to lift my head like off the wall <laughs> to go out because I knew it was my time to go. Um, so that was pretty that was pretty tough. And then m- the other mental bit for me that was really tricky was when we were nearing the end. So we were making good time, kind of in our heads had this projected time that we were going to finish in. And then we hear low pressure and really slowed down. And it's probably 24 hours. I think we were all pretty sad because it was like, oh, we were almost there. I knew my mum was there waiting for us. And it would have been really nice to just have that have gone to plan and to have got there when we wanted. And then it was really weird because it was like this kind of slightly sad 24 hours that we had. And then it was like, hang on, we're still enjoying ourselves here, aren't we? Yes. Everyone's still okay. Yes. This is still the most incredible experience ever. Yes. Oh, fine. We'll spend some spend longer out here doing this. It was a real weird shift, but there was definitely a lull and that was pretty tough. That realisation sitting in and then but then yeah, it turned out fine. But it's those funny things that hit you in twenty four hours when you're in a boat coop up feels like an awful long time. <laughs> Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? Number one was definitely a fridge, I think, because Especially when it was really hot getting towards Antigua, all you wanted was something cold and refreshing and ideally f- like a fresh something. Um, so a cold drink or a, yeah, just even like a, a yogurt or something that would just slip down, just cold. So it would have been great to just have a fridge that we could cool things down on, down in. Um, might be a bit bulky to take on an ocean rowing boat. What else? Probably, probably a shower. I discovered that you can get quite a good amount of pressure from a water bottle if you're using it to wash your hair. But I did that twice because <laughs> it was hard work. Wash my body more, but hair twice. But yeah, a shower would have been a real luxury. Other material things. It's funny, like, I don't feel like I miss that much materialism because you didn't need it. Yeah, we had everything we needed on the crossing. And I suppose... I could say a bed. A bed would have been nice, but we weren't spending that much time in it anyway. And you were so exhausted when you went to bed that you slept regardless. Yeah, maybe I'll just take two bulky. I would. I miss two bulky things, and if I could take them, I would. But that would be a fridge and a shower, and then maybe maybe an electric toothbrush. That would have been nice. Yeah, fridge, shower, electric toothbrush. How much training did you do before the row? 
So training wise, I think the best thing we did in prep training wise was yoga and focusing on kind of conditioning of the muscles and stretching. If I had my time again, hopefully when I have my time again to row another ocean, I would hugely focus on that. I think there was obviously I the year we were preparing was really strange because obviously COVID happened. So we had the first six months of the year almost we couldn't really do an awful lot. I'm a doctor, so I'd been redeployed back into the hospital and things were tough. Like it was it was hard and you go in for a shift and you have all full PPE and you know, often we would be on the, the kind of COVID wards that would need us to have the visors and everything on. And you wouldn't necessarily even look outside. You'd just have all this kit on. You'd be sweating all day inside, kind of not having great breaks and coming home to then sit on an egg and sweat out in another dark space for a couple of hours. You know, we did it. But there was a time where I was kind of coming to breaking point of just being like, because for me, exercise is not just about keeping fit, it's kind of keeping well. And I got to the point where I was like, I can't sit on this row machine anymore I felt like my training had become stilted I wasn't progressing I wasn't feeling fit I was just feeling exhausted worn out and I switched to doing other stuff so I switched to switched doing a lot more running it was kind of coming into the summer and it was things were starting to ease so I think it probably did coincide with the time when we could get out on the boat a bit more which was really good but just I think had I been a bit more aware to that and in tune with that that that's okay earlier that would have I probably would have been stronger for it in terms of I would have probably committed more to my training I'd have been mentally better um and been able to push myself more in the sessions where you know maybe I was spending long on the egg so focusing on having the training both for mental kind of well-being as well as you know obviously physically I think I'm a bit more in tune with what I need now as opposed to what's on the program that I need to follow hopefully <laughs> next time there won't be a a global pandemic on and things won't be quite as bad but definitely that was a learning point for me and it, yeah getting out on the boat was great and again having a time again without all the restrictions in place definitely spending more time on the boat we were really lucky that we did get to spend lots of extended periods out on the boat I can't remember exactly but well well over over double what we were kind of required to do by the rules of the race that we were doing but that was the best training you can have not just physically but you know getting used to where things go what works for you what doesn't work for you so yeah my points would be train for the mind not just the body do lots of yoga but also get on the boat as much as possible because yeah there's nothing like recreating what you're actually going to do in training is the best prep you can have did you suffer from any injuries sores nasties or sickness so for me personally, I was really lucky, didn't really have any injuries, didn't really have that many sores at all. Big thing for me was seasickness. The first kind of 36 hours, 48 hours, I was basically just vomiting continuously, which wasn't great. We'd been out and when we'd been out before around the coast of the UK, we hadn't really had that many problems. It'd been one time we'd all felt a bit nauseous because it was pretty rough, but obviously the waves are so different. And as you're coming out of the Canaries and you've obviously got kind of waves hitting you from all directions pretty much, um, that was rough. But because we'd been out and we'd all got, you know, we'd had that outing where we'd all got a little bit sick and it all, it did just pass. I mean, it was, that wasn't half as bad as on the actual road, but it settled. And that mentality of this will pass was really important. <laughs> it's just, I was always like a mantra, like chanting it to myself and every now and then someone else would say to it, oh, it will pass. I was like, oh, no, it will, but when? And it did pass, which was fine. In the end, we had some 
sickness or seasickness, which I think just helps you grow on. But again, if I have my time again, would I do anything different? Probably not. I'd probably just see how it goes and, and take it as it comes and focus on hydration. That was the main thing for us. Didn't really matter about food. And then it passed and that was fine. And hunky dory by a weekend. I'd forgotten. I'd had seasickness anyway. In terms of sores wise, I, I think as a crew, we were pretty militant when it came to hand hygiene and bum hygiene just making sure we were rinsing down any salty clothes making sure we were cleaning our butts with wipes making sure that we were putting any creams on paying attention to any kind of hot spot as soon as it comes up really pretty strict but actually it paid dividends and that pretty much everyone was fine obviously that odd thing here and there but um yeah and when it came to hands mixing it up so we had some bear grips which we'd use but then we'd also just kind of go skins and again just doing what each person felt and and making sure you knew where everything was so everything was tidy you knew where your grips were if you needed to ask someone to pass them to you if you needed to have a different pressure point so yeah all in all we were super lucky actually apart from on the first day so i'm there like feeling so nauseous being sick every 10 minutes and my dad just basically cracked his head open on one of the little nuts that was um sticking out next to the door it looked a lot more impressive i think we, well it did yeah than it was but he comes out he's like blood pour gushing out of his head i'm trying not to be sick but also trying to <laughs> try to sort him out so that wasn't ideal he's like oh my god you can't tell your mother don't send a photo to your mother because you know she'll panic it's literally on day one but anyway we could laugh about it because it was fine that was probably our worst banger for the trip um so all in all we're pretty lucky can you think of three songs which remind you of your row i feel like songs i get a bit stuck on as to what we actually listen to um, because it all just seems to blend into one. But the ones that come to mind are Intoxicated, and that was like a pre-row song that me and Victoria listened to a lot when we were at university. So we, whenever that came on, that was a real pick-me-up. We had a very strange playlist that was like 50 songs that we'd put on. I probably couldn't name any of them, but they were always, again, like a bit of a pick-me-up. By the end, we were singing along to them and then this is cheating a little bit but not a song but then podcasts and again I'm going to double cheat because I'm going to give two two of the podcasts that I listened to as we were going along which were just wonderful to have on just very easy listening was Tailenders as always all their back catalogue love it um, and then the Louis Theroux one that was called Grounded that was all about talking to celebrities again it was just like escapism during the row which is all you need really is something to just listen to and escape and detract from the phone you're still rowing and you're still a very long way from the end. Did you suffer with any post-adventure blues? I think post-adventure blues is a good one. Um, no, I mean, it's not good, but it's good to talk about. People had mentioned it to us before about like the whole adjustment period afterwards. And again, because our year had been so different, the whole year had been different. Everyone was going through this period of adjustment because obviously everyone's been in isolation and everyone's feeling a bit out of kilter. I think coming back was strange because you've just had the most incredible experience of a lifetime and you're coming back basically into a lockdown society we had to quarantine when we get back for a fortnight which was fine I had a few you know admin stuff to do I was applying for jobs but also because of what I do it meant that I could go back and do some locum shifts so the first day that I got out of isolation I was actually back in work by the time I was back in work it was pretty much how it had been almost at the, the worst point in the 
first wave of COVID before I went back into because that was the weird thing when we were on the row is that obviously you don't have much contact with the outside world but we did have a sat foot and every now and then we'd, we'd be getting a bit of update of what's happening at home and we'd speak to my mum quite a lot and she hadn't really kind of let on that much was going on but then I spoke to my housemates once who were both doctors and they were so sad that must have been like maybe a week before we finished so kind of mid-January and I've never spoken to them and been so I've never I've just never heard them like that and so we knew it was bad so you knew you were stepping back into a world which when we left for all intents and purposes like Christmas was happening things weren't looking so bad um and obviously things had deteriorated again so then when I went back then went back to work they were just almost as they were at the worst of when we'd left which was a shock but was kind of fine because that was an adjustment we'd already had to make the year before the strange thing was that I had been back in the UK for like many many months before I was actually seeing lots of people so there's so many friends that I didn't see for months and then saw and they were so invested into asking about the row and I was like oh yeah it was ages ago <laughs> um but obviously you don't have that whole coming back and catching up with everyone or being able to share your story and it all it I don't know, in a way it makes it feel maybe more like a dream because you've, because it does feel like such a long time ago and you've not been able to share it with the people you love. Yeah, you've spoke to them on Zoom and various calls, but you've not actually been able to see people and kind of share the experience with them face to face, which is very strange. And then even just going back to work. So I started a job in education for kind of five months when I first got back to part time and just dealing with the kind of politics of being in the workplace and you know, life at sea is so simple. I mean, it can be dangerous, but it's so simple because you just row and sleep and eat and poop. And if something bad happens, you sort it out and you carry on. You're not having to impress anyone. You know, by impress, the way you impress people is just by doing what you need to do. There's no, there's nothing else to do. You, you just crack on with it. And coming back and yeah, the politics that are around you know, friendships or, or workplace or anything like that was, was really challenging. And I don't think that I really realized I definitely had taken a dip. Was, it wasn't until probably like this summer and then stuck a different role. Um, and like looking back on what happened the last six months in terms of the adjustment back and things were a bit more normal as well. So obviously seeing people a lot more, um, it then makes you think, oh, actually, yeah, that was a bit strange. And I don't know how you combat that. I don't know how you change or minimize that adjustment because it's always going to be there because you're now not on an ocean. You're now in the real world. And I thought that we'd prepared for it a little bit. We'd talked about it as a crew. Obviously, we talked about it with people who'd done it before and we, you know, had an awareness of it. But, you know, still happened. I think it affected all of us slightly differently, but all of us to a certain extent. Wouldn't stop me doing it again. <laughs> That's all I'd have to say. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? Sometimes I still feel a little bit like imposter syndrome. <laughs> like there's lots of more well-experienced people out there that could offer a much greater advice. But I suppose the thing I would say to future rowers is that what we offer as people who've done a crossing before is just advice and based on our own experiences and ask 10 different rowers about what worked well for them. And they will probably offer you 10 very different opinions on how things do work so take it on board listen to what people have to say but at the end of the day you need to make your own decisions and actually you need to get on your boat as much as possible and find out what works for you because that is the best kind of prep you can do 
I think if you're doing it as a crew, you need to be honest with yourself about what you might find tricky and how, if you are finding feeling stressed and finding things hard, how you might present yourselves and what you want your crew members to be aware of in terms of both managing you and but also you managing them and managing your relationships. We were fortunate in terms of conflict wasn't a big issue, but again, we had been really open about conflict and how we would manage that prior to the crossing. So it's not always the easiest conversation to have, but definitely worth having before you set off. And just do it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's the best feeling in the world, I think. I mean, I've not been married, I've not got kids, but very notions like, incredible I mean we are fortunate anyone who's considering doing it anyone who's done it you know we're fortunate to a certain degree in that our lifestyle allows us to have this time off from work it allows us to fund these adventures but yeah most basic primitive existence and it's just truly wonderful to escape from day-to-day things that are happening and um yeah just do it enjoy it love it live it share it with your friends with your family with other people anyone who will listen share it with them because I know for a lot of our friends family and even strangers it was a real positive in a world that was locked down so share it with everyone enjoy it good luck and if anyone did want to tap us up for advice or zoom go we you know spoke to so many people before we went away and it was really 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 useful so please get in touch um and we can talk about it all day every day for hours and finally would you do it again so yes i think i would i would love to would I row across the Atlantic? I don't know, but never say never. I think everyone's crossing is very different. Your experience is different, whether you're on your own, whether you're in a crew, the weather, you know, the wildlife, everything like that is very different. Um, there is something that is kind of in the planning, um, hopefully for 2023. But yeah, even at the time, you know, sometimes you, you do things and you retrospectively look back and say oh yeah that was an amazing experience I think even at the time we could appreciate it was such an amazing experience um so yeah not gonna say too much but yes I would definitely definitely go another ocean big thank you to Brittany for sharing her story and all her advice her dad Roger Staniforth will feature in a future episode so keep your eyes peeled for that one if you're an ocean rower and would like to share your story get in touch the ocean rowing club at gmail.com or via instagram at the ocean rowing club if you're enjoying the podcast don't forget to rate and review and give it five stars on apple podcasts and spotify like and share and please recommend it to all of your friends And don't forget to join us again next week when we go back to the Indian Ocean and on a world record-breaking row around Great Britain. Toodle pip!